this year in the Bolton house, it seems like we have been on more projects, been doing more projects from long projects to painting projects to a fire pit project to just fixing and doing several things. And so in order to do those kinds of projects, that means I have made several trips either to Lowe's or Home Depot. Now, some of you will probably agree with me on this. You, if you've ever been there, because most of you probably have, you realize those two stores are massive. They're huge. Drives me crazy. I'm down in aisle 42, and they say, oh, that's down there in aisle 3. I'm like, i got to go all the way down there, and I go down to aisle 3, and they say, oh, the item you want there, that's down in aisle 22. And you get your exercise just going back and forth in those big stores. It's kind of amazing, though. You could go to one of those stores, and I believe you could build an entire house just from the products in one of those stores. You go, there's plumbing. You go, there's all your woods. You can do all your framing. You can go there and get all your block. You can go there and get all your cement. You can go to another department, get all your electrical. You can go to another department, get all your paint. Go to another department, and you get all of your, your landscaping needs. Everything you need to build a house, I think you would find it at Lowe's or Home Depot. And quite honestly, is anybody else, you enjoy going to those kinds of stores? I love it. I go in there, I get kind of lost. I go in there for light bulbs, and an hour later, I'm leaving. Because I'm walking through, and I'm just dreaming and going, oh, those lights are really cool. Oh, we could do that at church. Oh, we could do this at home. And go on down, and you go down the plumbing aisle. I'm like, oh, my goodness, they have that for a plumbing? I didn't even know the kind of thing existed. I mean, you can walk from one aisle to another aisle, get into ceiling fans, and I go, man, those are cool ceiling fans. Wow, what is that one doing? Oh, it has a remote control. I can get lost in one of those stores, going from one compartment to another compartment to another area to another area and to another area, and you just kind of wander and wander. I love spending time in those stores. Here's the thing I don't like, though. I don't like how for we, many Christians, many times, often, our faith looks like a big store that is broken up into all kinds of divisions and compartments. Well, today I'm going to live this way, and tomorrow I'm going to live this way, and today I'll interact in this way, and tomorrow and next day I'll interact in this way. We compartmentalize our faith. Oh, today I'm around some Christians, and so I'll be Christian. Today I'm around some other kinds of people, and I'll behave this way. And today I'm around this kind of group of people, and I'll behave this way. See, we choose certain parts of following Jesus many times that we like, but then we avoid other departments of living for God. Oh, I'm good in that area, so I'm happy with that one. Now, that other area about living for God, ah, let's ignore that one. This is true in what we live out. And it's also true when we speak our faith many times. There have probably been times in your life when your Christian life looked pretty nice on Sunday, but the other six days of the week, maybe it was a little sketchy. On Sunday, things are good, but then throughout the week, yeah, not really sure. This is why I love the book of James that we're going to start diving into today. Open your Bibles to the book of James. James lays out a faith that works itself out in details of life every single day of the week, Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and no matter whether it's 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. or 12 p.m. or 1 in the morning, all day long, every day of the week, James shows us, here's how you live as a follower of God. That's why it's so important, because we learn how to glorify God in all areas of life. 
Not just some areas of life, but all areas. It's also important because we want people to know that Christianity is relevant and sincere. And the way we live out our faith helps direct that. Brennan Manning, author of the Ragamuffin Gospel, said the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Hear me on this. Listen closely for a second. The way we live our lives, and as as we get into the book book of James, I make this bold assertion to you. If we as individuals and we as a church will master the wisdom principles of the book of James that we're going to dive into, people will see the relevance of our Christian faith and they will see sincerity of our faith and they'll want to know our God. But when we just look like the rest of the world and say, well, I'm a Christian, I just go to church, and they say, I don't see any difference between you and me, why would they want to know who our God is, who our Lord is? See, here's the point of James. You have faith, prove it. All day, every day. That's the point of the book of James. You want to put it in a summary. Where we're going to go is if you have faith, prove it. All day, every day, all day long, every day long. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 5 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the evening. Whenever it is, all day every day. Today I want to begin with some introductory material because we need to understand the setting of this great book. There's several key questions to answer. The first question I think we need to understand is, who is this James fella? Who's James who put this book together? Uh, This is not James, the brother of John, who was one of the twelve disciples. He is the son of Mary and Joseph. Name sound familiar? Mary and Joseph being Jesus' mom and dad. And so James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. In fact, James was no disciple at all. In the beginning, it says in John 7, 5, says that not even his brothers believed in him. I mean, James is the guy who was a brother to Jesus who didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world until the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And then he comes to be a believer. After the crucifixion, James comes to believe and he quickly becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church. He served as a pastor and he calls himself actually a teacher in James chapter 3 verse 1. Above everything, it is important to realize that James is writing to people as a pastor. James is writing to the church as a shepherd, as someone who cares about the flock and wants them to understand how to live as a person who's a follower of Jesus. Who is he writing to? His audience is actually the persecuted church. That's who his audience is. People who are under persecution. Verse 1 is addressed uh, to the 12 tribes that are scattered. The recipients of the letter once lived in Jerusalem, but now they've been scattered and they're experiencing trials and suffering, which brings us to why did he write this? I think he wrote it, my understanding, the purpose is to encourage and instruct his people to persevere in good works while they're even walking through suffering and trials and difficulties. The book of Acts tells us 
that after the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, this is before Saul is converted and becomes the Apostle Paul, many people in the early church of Jerusalem, they fled out of the city to take refuge from the looming persecution. So you know early in the book of Acts, the disciples are together. They're preaching and teaching and sharing the word. Then the church starts to spread because of persecution. And so as they scatter about, there's some tribes that are created. We could read between the lines of the historical details and know that James was the kind of pastor that, that wants to emulate because he possessed a great heart of love. He stayed with the persecuted church. He could have ran and took off. He cared about the scattered church even in their absence. And so he's writing to teach, and he writes this book. He wrote it probably around 40 A.D., just pre-Jerusalem council, before the church council was put together. And in light of the introduction, he says here, Here's what I want you to understand. Here's how I want you to live. In light of this, I want you to listen closely to the book of James. Before we do that, though, before we read the book of James, I want you to realize that it is wise for us to hear Scripture read. We're going to do something a little bit different today that we normally don't do. And Normally, I may read a section of Scripture, three or four verses, or maybe ten or twelve verses, I want you today to listen in closely to the book of James. We're going to read this entire book. Not the norm on a Sunday morning. It's not what the schools will tell you about how to grow a church and how to reach people. But God's word tells us this is good for us. It's good for us just to hear Scripture proclaimed. It's, it's how the original audience would receive the word. See, what happens is, as they're scattered abroad and creating these little tribes of Christians, and James writes a letter, they didn't have a way to multi-produce it like we do today, and so the letter would have been sent, and somebody would have stood up before the Christians. They would have gathered in someone's house, they would have squeezed in, and they would have said, here, we got a letter from our brother James, and so everyone wanted to hear it, and so they would just turn on their ears, and they would listen. Nothing on a screen, no extra music to it. We've lost that skill of just listening, and so I want you to do the best you can. And the believers would have probably sat and just listened to the word being read for 15 to 30 minutes possibly just out loud. It provides context for all the individual parts when you get a whole and get a chance to listen to it. For example, many of you know the famous passage about faith and works when James says, faith without works is dead. How many have heard that passage? Faith without works is dead. Most of us know that, right? How many of you could tell us the topic that James was dealing with in the first place? How many really realize, well, I've heard that idea, faith without works is dead. How many would know that James was dealing with distinctions or discrimination between the rich and the poor? See, when you put that within a context, that starts to have a little bit different meaning, so it's good for us to understand within context, and it keeps us from skipping over valuable parts. Because the tendency, even for a preacher, is, well, I'm going to preach that one. I kind of like that passage. Well, let's skip this other passage. And so we're going to walk right through it. But the Apostle Paul instructed the young preacher, Timothy. He instructed him with these words. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So he says to him, listen, your example is highly important. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And so there are three ways of bringing the Word of God to people. You listen to the Scripture, you preach, and you teach. And so today, I want us just to listen. So open your Bibles, whether you have it like this or it's on your device, and let's just listen and hear the Word of God. 
James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him, but you have, been, have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. 
For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but commit, do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing but about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when they offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that this that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for, Righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet. 
but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely, but He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workmen who mowed your fields and cried crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. No, or you will be condemned. Is anyone of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. 
Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sin. That's what the early church would practice. Gather around the word, hear it read and proclaimed, and then they would pray. They would pray. They wouldn't have someone expound and someone try to teach it and someone try to explain it and someone say, here's what you do to put it into practice. They would just read it and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work through the reading of Scripture. These words were written for our instruction They're written for you and me to know what does it mean to be a person of faith? How should that be displayed in our lives? And so church, I want to practice exactly what the early church did today. Hear the scripture proclaimed and just pray that we will hear the scriptures in the coming weeks as we dive in deeper, as we do spend some time teaching and expounding on it. But for today... I want to allow God's word just to speak to your heart and your mind. Will you bow your head with me? Father, we've just listened to your scripture in this room. For your word to be proclaimed by the public reading of scripture, as you told Timothy to do through your servant Paul, to not neglect the public reading of your of your word. And Lord, I'm praying for a blessing over this body just from the words we heard today. I'm praying, Lord, that that your Holy Spirit would do a, a work in us as we hear your words. And then, Lord, in the coming weeks as we learn how to live out what you said in James to not merely be hearers, but to be doers. God, as we look at this text for the next couple weeks and we look at the work of God in Christ and understand what that means and we look at how our faith should be a faith that works and as we look at and understand what it means to be steadfast under trial, to, per, to persevere. As God, as we, we understand what relationships within a church are supposed to look like, what, what, when we understand, Lord, riches and poverty and justice and, Father, when we look at wisdom, and how wisdom produces maturity. And Lord, as we then wrap up and understand that prayer is the foundation. God, I pray that your scriptures will speak into, a, into our lives. Lord, as we gather into groups, growth groups throughout the week that begin this week. Lord, I pray that the scripture will be uh, studied well. That it will move hearts and moves minds. Father, we fill our lives with so much stuff today. Visually, TV and internet and and magazines and things we read. Fill our minds with with movies. And and Lord, we get filled with so much stuff that many times, Lord, Scripture gets pushed away. And so God, we want to fill our mind with your Scripture. I pray, Lord, that in some homes they'll make it a priority to say, let's read God's Word together and read it aloud and stay in the book of James and just read it and say, Lord, help us to be people of faith that will live this all day, 
every day. We're praying, Lord, for you to do a work in us and through us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine or even dream of. God, we come to our time of communion, time to receive the emblems. Lord, when we partake of the cup and we partake of the bread, to be reminded of your death and your burial and your resurrection, your blood shed on a cross for us. And Lord, we say thank you. And we honor you and we praise you during this time of remembrance. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.